I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. Over the past several weeks, we've been examining the exam schools, talking to experts about preparing to get in, as well as what it takes to win admission to an exam school. But what happens when a student doesn't get into or chooses not to attend an exam school? Over 75% of high school students in Boston either apply to attend our smaller admissions-based schools or they are assigned to an open enrollment school. Today, we are talking with Jean Roundtree, principal of Snowden High School, which is a smaller open enrollment high school located in Boston's Back Bay. Jean has led Snowden to new horizons, implementing an international baccalaureate curriculum, partnering with multiple community organizations, and being named a finalist for Ed Vester's School on the Move Award. Prior to joining Snowden, Jean worked and interned at the Elliott K-8 Innovation School. He additionally was a teacher and a teacher leader at Madison Park Technical Vocational School and started his career in BPS as a paraprofessional. Gene received his master's in education from the Harvard Graduate School of Education and also studied at Boston University. Hi, Gene. It's great to have you on our podcast today. Oh, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, can you start by just telling us how you ended up at Snowden as its principal? What's your career pathway? Um, well, my career pathway, I came out of college um, hoping to be uh, a diplomat, ah. which, as we see on the news, because it's a very interesting, uh, can be a very interesting uh, career path. Um, <laughs> uh, and I passed the foreign service exam, but I was on the waiting list, um, and it, it pretty became pretty clear I probably wasn't going to get in on the on the uh, exam cycle that I took. Yeah. And so I thought, what I'd like to do, and I was like, I'd like to be a teacher. So I moved back to Boston, um, and my first, I started off by being a substitute teacher. Um, in Winchester Public Schools. Okay. Um, is that where you're from? No, no, I'm from New Jersey. Okay. Um, but I have, uh, you know, I was I have a friend whose mother works in the Winchester Public Schools. Okay. And so they were, needed substitutes. Right. So I started doing that, and then I was a substitute teacher in Boston. Uh, and I kind of used that time to kind of figure out what type of school I wanted to work at, what age group of kids. Um, and then I got a job as a paraprofessional at McKinley Middle School. Okay. What's a paraprofessional? A paraprofessional is, is an instructional aide. Yep. Uh, so it's someone who, who um, assists the teacher in delivering instruction and supporting kids um, based on their needs. Okay, right. Um, and do we, do we have paraprofessionals because we have inclusive classrooms? Yeah, so we, we will have, you know, we'll have smaller classrooms um, yep. uh, for students um, based on their individual learning needs. Mm-hmm. You're in a fear special education student. Uh, you may also see paraprofessionals in inclusion classrooms. Okay. Um, so I was a paraprofessional for one year at um, uh, at McKinley Middle School. I learned a lot. Yeah, I worked um, under um, a, a teacher named Toshiba Martin, okay. uh, who is now the principal of Young Achievers. So yeah. shout out to Toshiba. <laughs> um, and so she gave me a lot of opportunities to not just be, a, you know, not only assist her in instruction, but to also take the lead in certain lessons. Yeah. And then I was able to get a, um, a teaching position at uh, Madison Park High School, okay, right. um, where I was there for 10 years. Wow. Um, oh, I didn't realize you were there for that long. What did you teach? I taught, um, so I taught biology and chemistry, and this yeah. was at a time um, where the entrance requirements for teaching are different than they are now. And I think there was, there was really, um, there's a real need for science teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got hired, I was like a late August hire. So someone had just left. Wow. School year was about to start. Late um, August is an odd time to be hired as a teacher. Yeah, yeah. well, I think there's there ends up being a lot of a lot of action and movement at that time. Um, but I think that you know I think that they they really needed a teacher, and so they <laughs> took a flyer on me. Okay. Um, and so I was there, and it was it was really um, great place to learn how to teach. And I started off not being very good. Was it a tough school to teach at? Um, I'm going to say I think that all schools. I think the teaching is it's a misunderstood. Um, profession in, in a lot of ways. You know, it, it's very complicated work. I read a study that, in, that said that a teacher in an individual day will make 1,500 individual decisions related to their instruction mm. in any given day. Mm-hmm. 1,500 distinct decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I, so I think that it's a, it was, it's a very challenging profession. I think it's the best profession to get into. Um, and um, But I, I think that Madison was a great place to, to learn how to be a teacher, and I think it was because... I mean, we, they're amazing kids. Yeah. Um, I'm still in contact uh, with a lot of the students that I, that I taught, particularly the ones 
that were so kind and generous to me and patient with me yeah. my first year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful to that group because I have some kids that like, they really, you know, they were really patient. Well, they, you must have given them something though, that they're still in touch with you. Well, I, I think that it's about relationship building. And I yeah. think that you can, if you, if you, um, if you're a lot of folks who are in the work are, are able to build, you know, you know, strong and productive relationships with kids. And I think that that's something, something that I, one of the reasons that draws me to this work. And I think that that was kind of like what, <laughs> what saved me in my first couple of years, because kids might not always love what I was doing, but we had a good relationship and they're like, all right, well, I'm going to do this because Mr. Roundtree asked me to, it might right. not be the you know, most interesting thing. Right, right, but right. But over the years I was able to develop um, stronger, um, better, um, more engaging and more cognitively demanding tasks and lessons, yeah. largely through the incredible um, content area department that I had. Oh. So the teachers in my content area department and the teachers on my grade level team were yep. fantastic. Um, you know, I was able to, you know, I taught the four periods that I had and then I would observe for two just about every day. People just let me just be a fixture in their classroom and then I would plan after school. Is that is that kind of a typical teacher's day? Yeah. So generally, you know, depending on, you know, the, um, the you know, contractual um, uh, stipulations, if, if you're at a pilot or um, a in-district charter, I think there's some differences, but yeah. Generally, it's four hours of instruction, mm -hmm. one hour of administrative duty, and then one hour of prep. Right. Um, and so what I would do is I would spend all of my prep time observing, and mm -hmm. then after school, do my prepping and planning. Right. Interesting. Um, what do you think you got better at? I think, well, the first thing I really had to get good at was content. Yep. Um, I think you really have to you know, develop um, proficiency in the content in order to teach it proficiently. Yep. So I was able to, I took advantage of a, a class through UMass Boston um, they had a partnership, I think it was called Cosmic, but you would be able to take a like intensive course over the summer mm -hmm. in your content area. And it was focused on content instruction, but you would really, really focus on content. Okay. Um, and I took that class and passed the biology MTEL. Um, and so I think first really understanding the content and yeah. then secondly, um, really understanding pedagogy and the best way to deliver content. Right. And I got a lot of that through that program, but also really just observing the teachers, you know, in my building. Seeing what works. Um, and the, the teachers that I worked with, um, you know, in Madison Park, there were some really, really outstanding teachers. Oh, that's amazing. Um, you know, and I, and they were very generous with me and patient. Um, and I stole a lot of their stuff. Yeah. And well, then, that's probably yeah. right. Sincerest form of compliment. Yeah. Of, right. Yeah. But a flattery. Do you, um, so when did you decide though, that you wanted to lead a school? So I, I think it, I look at it kind of as, as, um, as like an, as a desire to have an expanding sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. So the first, um, year or two of teaching was, you know, they say they describe it as like survival. Yeah. Right? Um, then you kind of, you understand, you know, the content, you learn about assessment, you learn about classroom management, mm -hmm. uh, pedagogy, um, making instructional tasks. Mm -hmm. And then you start to think about like, okay, now maybe I want to do a club or now I want to be, you know, part of the instructional leadership team. Right. And you, and then you, and then so, cause the, the classroom aspect, you have it pretty much down right? or you have it so that you're always thinking about development, you know, but you're able to you know, have like the mental space to then do that, but then also think about other things. Right. You have the base, you just, you're, it's additive. Yeah. After and that. it's, yeah. And, and, and it's clear. I think the trajectory of teacher development is, you know, I think that there are studies in, that indicate that there's rapid improvement and growth from year one to year five, mm -hmm. and then it can, you know, and there can be a plateau. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think that I experienced, you know, rapid improvement during, you know, year one through year five. Um, and then, and so it meant from went from being an ILT member to facilitating the ILT, and then thinking, okay, what are the policies that impact my ability to to work as a teacher? Like, what are the what are the things that I feel like make this job great, or what are the things that I feel like make them challenging? And so I decided to I wanted to learn about education policy. So um, I was fortunate enough I applied for the the James Bryant Conant Fellowship yeah. through the BTU, and I was fortunate and grateful to BTU I received it. Um, and I went to the uh, Harvard Graduate School of Education, and I got my master's in education policy and management. Right. And I thought I went there um, because I wanted to work in policy and in an office somewhere, either at the 
you know, city, state, or federal level. Right. And everything I felt like I learned there just told me the importance of schools and huh. the importance of teachers. Yeah. Um, and the importance of like the like the immediate impact. Yeah. That teachers have, and they're like the, it's the number one single greatest. Yeah. Intervention and um, for student learning is the is the teacher that's in front of them. Yeah. Um, and so I really felt like moving, you know, towards policy would be kind of like move, running in the opposite direction yeah. of a fire if you right. were a fireman. Right. Um, and so I came back to the classroom, oh. I think for four more years. Um, and then. Where'd I, you go then? To back to Madison Park? Back to Madison Park. You did. Yeah. So when okay. I went, and so I, the year I was at Harvard, I still volunteered at Madison. I ran the 10 Boys Club. What is the 10 Boys Club? So the 10 Boys Club is an initiative um, that focuses on a small group of boys, like a youth development model mm-hmm. small, that's focused on a small group, a cohort of boys uh, to, I think that, you know, the idea is that you, that the school puts us in place for kids who are, are not proficient in, in MCAS. Yep. And then over the course of the, the year and the additional development and, you know, youth development programming, um, that they would then improve the, their um, performance and standardized tests. Did they? Um, I, yes, I believe they did. Yeah. Um, as I ran the club, it was more about kind of youth development. I mean, to be honest yeah. with you, um, I think that, you know, testing and, uh, you know, the proficiency is very important, but right. I was more interested in, you know, helping the kids develop, you know, positive, um, you know, you know, positive leadership characteristics. Yeah, I think life that, skills. Yeah, but I think, you know, I think that our kids have a ton of resources, but I think, it's it's hard to be a teenager, yeah. you know, and I think that there are, you can be a te- te- teenager and be a leader in ways that are positive, in ways that are healthy. And I think that there are ways that you can be a leader that are you know that are not, you know, I you know I think that it's the difference between being the like the class clown and the valedictorian. Right. Like they're both leaders, right. and people listen to them, and people watch what they do, and people emulate them. Right. Right. But right. I think that we, but I think that there's different incentives. That you get out of both and yeah. trying to teach, teach the kids, hey, that better incentives, you know, are, the, are for if you have your... Well, I keep reading, manure. too, that expectations are kind of the biggest driver of success for kids. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like this program also set a new level of expectations for these students. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. that it... Um, and so part of what I studied, I, I took a class um, from Ron Ferguson mm-hmm. um, called Youth Development and Education Policy. Um, and I studied the 10 Boys group as it was. Okay. And I felt like it should be, there should be like a formal curriculum. That yeah. There should be kind of regular like benchmark, like a pre and post assessments right. of um, both academic indicators and, you know, social emotional yeah. indicators as well. Um, and so I felt like it should be more of like a standard program and go through like, um, like program evaluation. Right, right. right. Um, and so, so I just did that for a year, came back to Madison Park um, for four years um, and then Madison Park went through you know, kind of a series of transitions, you know, for when it became an innovation school and there was turnover in leadership. And yep. um, then that kind of made me think about like, what are the, you know, what are the, you know, you know, what is the best opportunity to create the conditions um, for student and teacher success in a school? Right. Um, and I felt like you, you, can, you can, there are a lot of things that you can do as a school leader to do that. Right. So, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and did you notice as those transitions were happening that, that, that not having a strong leader was, was a part of the problem in terms of, I think one of the things I reflect on is I think that it, you know, part of it I want to say is like, you don't know sometimes as a, as a school or as a district, you don't know what you have, what you've got until it's gone. Yeah. Right. Um, That's an interesting point. And we, you know, and, you know, and Chuck McAfee was a leader there who hired me, you know, and I, and I, and I appreciated his leadership when he was there and I enjoyed him as a person and we're still in contact yeah. um, to this day. And I feel like I'm very grateful, you know, for the opportunity that I got cause he was the one who hired me. Yeah. Um, and, I, and there were things I appreciated about him and I, and I said, but, but after he left, I realized all the things that I didn't realize that yeah. we should have been appreciating all along. Yeah, well, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, so how do you think about Madison Park now? So uh, I'll say that I'm, I guess I'm uh, in my sixth year removed from Madison Park. So I will say that I'm not, you know, many of the people that, I've, that I worked with closely have moved on. Many are still there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, uh, what, I, what I'll say about Madison Park is this. You know, I think, you know, there are many great things about the Boston Public Schools. There mm-hmm. are, you know, we have, um, 
you know, the number of stories of, of, of inspiration, um, of, uh, of, you know, creative success, um, yeah. of accomplishment, you know, you, you can find the stories across all of our Boston yeah, public schools. Yeah, there's so many. Um, you know, I think that I'm fortunate enough that I've been part of some very special schools. I think the McKinley program, um, I think, you know, Madison Park, I've been at the Elliott for a year and being at Snowden for, for, um, for now I'm in my fifth year. I will say that Madison Park is a very special place yeah. that I think, that I think is, um, you know, I think it's often misunderstood. Well, I think, I think a lot of people who are paying attention to education in the city mm-hmm. wonder how to help it kind of mm-hmm. be re- re- revitalized. Cause you've got such a thriving base of companies here, mm-hmm. right. That should be fostering kind of entry level positions or helping kids be on a pathway to positions within their companies. And you would think that our vocational school would be the place where all of those opportunities would transact. And I think there's, I think people who pay attention to education in the city, myself included, are often curious about what, what, what could be done to help Madison Park really kind of realize its potential? I think that, so in my time at Madison Park, like I love Madison Park. Yeah. I, I, it, to me, it's always going to be you know, home in, in, in some very important ways. I used to say to people, Here the, here's, here are some of the reasons that Madison Park is so great. Yeah. It's the only place in the city where you can uh, get a haircut, have a website designed, Get your tires rotated, and have a sand get a sandwich all at the same time in one stop. That's there's n- true. There's no other place where you can do that. And while you're doing that, you could also, um, you know, probably, um, you know, probably, you know, get your teeth cleaned. And you could also like it's in in one place. Right. All of the the industry um, and all of the you know the opportunity to learn and the opportunity to do to do necessary things. Yeah. You know to learn the things that we are not able to live without. No, I agree with place. that. But I mean, you know, you would also think if all of that is true a hundred percent, then mm. all of those kids would end up in very successful careers. I think And this is where like I worry that the data doesn't show that, you know, what's being set up is is allowing that to play out as well as we would want it to play out. Um, I think that um so I think that is true. And again, I've I've been removed for six years and I'm not as closely in touch with no, totally. with what is currently you know happening and what they're working on. I know that they're you know smart and hardworking people there. Um, you know that you know that I know that Kevin and Brett are are there in leadership. And right. I think you know really highly of them. Um, I will say that in the time that I was there, you know some of the things that we you know that we looked at is is you know we went to Worcester Tech once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we were able to do a comparison of some of the, of some of the you know the vocational. And Worcester um, Tech is held in very high regard. It as is a vocational school. Yeah, it is. And we we went there as a group of educators from Madison Park to see that, and you know, and I think that there was, um, I think that, you know, they had, I think there was more investment. Yeah. Like well, that's I, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. I feel like you know what are the things that we should be doing to support yeah. the I think growth that, and development of Madison Park. I think that we. I think that the investment needs to be reconsidered there, but at an order of magnitude. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like they had like but an with advanced, a good strategic plan. With a great strategic plan, I think that yeah. like um, you know, so I think that you know, the, the, I think Worcester Tech. I think to, to, first off, we're comparing you know two schools. It's not. I don't. It's not really a fair comparison. Yeah. Um, based on what was invested right by by Worcester and Worcester Tech. Right. I think it was a. I think it was like a ninety million dollar building. Like Is that right? State of the art, brand new building. Yeah. And the things that you can do. Right, you know, in, in that opportunity, I think are 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 vast, and it's really not a fair comparison to what you can do without that. You know, the the ability to have that as a head start. Um, you know, but I think that they they were doing advanced manufacturing. They were doing kind of, you know, um, they had a bank. Yeah. Right, and so I think that the decisions about I think you have to make intentional decisions about um, you know the the what are the vocations that you're choosing? Right. I think, I think that so too. it seemed to me that a lot of them that they were doing there, and this is not to take away from any of the work that's happening at Madison. Um, but when I when, I let, when we left there on the school bus, I was like, you know, there's a functioning bank, and I think that's real, you know, transferable to 
um, you know, the opportunities in, in the banking sector, right. you know, and I think that, you know, there were, you know, I think that there's, you can be intentional about careers that will be middle class to upper middle class. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, so it it is an open enrollment school. So some kids decide to go there and some kids can also be assigned there. Mm -hmm. In Madison Park? Yeah, Madison Park. And 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 your school, Snowden School, is also an open enrollment school. And um and you've put an international baccalaureate program into Snowden. Well that was there. It was there when you got there. Before I arrived, yes. Okay, so you've been growing it then. Yes, we've been trying to grow it. And so you so can you talk to me about the types of kids that are attracted? Like do do different types of kids get attracted to Madison Park or to Snowden, or are the majority of kids in open enrollment schools kind of more just ending up where they're assigned? Or how, you know, how do you think about your student population? And so, I know you do a lot of work to market the school. Yeah, I think that I, I, I think that um, I think that that's something that you know uh, the majority of the school leaders you know it's part of our job. We have yeah. to really think about it. Um, and so, as an open enrollment school, I think that. Um, you know, I, I would say that we are, you know, I think that all the schools in Boston, charter, public, parochial, it's, it's a competitive space. Yeah, right. 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 Um, and I think that with, in, with open enrollment, um, I think that, and I think that one of the things I really, I really enjoy, one of the reasons I really enjoy this time of the year is because you get to go to middle schools and you get to share the mission, vision, value of your schools. Right. What is your school about? Um, you know, what do you care about? You know, at Snowden, we, get, we ask students to be, present, prepared, productive, ref, um, respectful, and reflective as they develop their ability to demonstrate the IB learner profile traits. Okay, yep. And so I, I, and so I really, I, I think that it's a great opportunity to communicate the mission mm-hmm. and, 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 and what the experience will be and, and, and what students will get out of it and what are the compelling reasons, you know, to choose the school. Where are kids coming from? Are they coming from all, all neighborhoods all across the city or particular yeah. neighborhoods? Well, we get students from all over the city, but about 50% of our kids come from, or a little over 50% of our kids come from Dorchester, Roxbury, and Mattapan. How long does it take them to get there? That depends. If you live on the Orange Line, you know, it can be, I think, as short as, if you, if you live right near Forest Hills, you could probably be, from the minute you step on the train to the minute you step in your classroom, yeah. on a good day with no delays, yeah. probably 30 minutes. Okay. Um, but if you have to take buses to get to Forest Hills, um, or, or if you live in, in, in areas that are underserved right. by public transportation, transportation yeah. it can take you a really long time. And we think a, a lot about um, attendance, you know, and mm. you know, chronic absenteeism and things that we're really trying to address. Right. You know, and I think that one of the things I always try to you know remember and r- remind you know our team at Snowden, and it's hard because there's some kids that can get here on time and don't. For, for whatever reason, they yeah. can get here in time, but they, they don't wake up on time, or they can get they they're close enough to get here in time, but, um, you know, but they may want to go to Dunkin' Donuts first, right? Um, but there are also a lot of kids who would you know have barriers and obstacles and responsibilities right. that make it harder for them to be here in time. And I will say that for some of our students who live in in some areas of, like, let's, let's say Mattapan, for instance, yeah, that it's it, far. Can, it can be a ninety-minute trip yeah. to go five or six miles on a series of buses, right? On a series of buses, yeah, it's so um, crazy. And and the buses, you know, if they're at capacity and they're full, right, they'll just drive past the kids. Mm. And I know this because remember when we had that really really bad snowy winter. It was yeah. actually the year I was at the Elliott School ah. with uh, with with uh, Tracy Walker Griffith and, right. and the team there, right. And we was just like it was just like snowstorm after snowstorm, yeah. and parking was really limited at the Elliott. And so mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'm not going to drive so that teachers can can have the parking spaces. And so I was like, I'm, I'll take the I'll take the bus. I live right off Warren Street, um, so I'll take the bus into Dudley, and then I'll take a bus to the North End. Yeah. Like there was one day where like four buses, the f- four buses passed me just completely full. Oh no! Right, and I said, right. and I and I thought back to the things that my students would tell me. When yeah, I was you a don't teacher. even think about that as being right. a problem, right? You know, and it's, you know, I think that, you know, that when it's, when there's weather, buses are impacted, everyone's impacted, but just the feeling of like wanting to get there on time. And you're, you're yeah. center of the city, but that, you know, and then most of the open enrollment schools are kind of around the mm-hmm. peripheral of the city. So in some cases they probably have even more significant. Well, yeah, I trips. think it, I think it depends on. Um, Depending how, how kids get placed. Yeah, it depends on, yeah, you know, I think that, you know, that's one of the things that is, you know, great about the system that allows kids to choose 
um, school locations from all over the city. Right. And it's also, you know, I think there's also something to be said for neighborhood schools because it's when you want to bring families in, you want to engage in community partners. Yes. I think that, um, I think that um, proximity, you know, to your families, I think is important. Um, but I think that it's great that kids have choice. And no, so, I, I agree with you. But you and I have had this conversation before about parents and you have a hard time having like kind of deep relationships with parents. And often it's because they don't live anywhere near the school and they, they have the same issues in terms of trying to get to the school to be present. Yeah. Our, yeah. Our, like, our challenge, um, I, I say that we have, you know, in Boston public schools, we, we might have the fanciest address <laughs> Boston public schools, but I think we also have that maybe, you know, we, our facility is, is less fancy than others. Um, and one aspect is like parking. Right. Like, yeah, so, none. so, you know, the families who come to visit us oftentimes have to travel to our school, um, during rush hour right. into like the, one of the busiest parts of the city. Right. Um, you know, and you know, it can be very difficult for, for families who are going to be feeding their kids or mm. they're coming from work themselves to get all the way downtown. Yeah. So we've been really thoughtful about, um, doing events like on Saturday mornings, that's when it's really quiet and easy to get here. Do you see more participation from parents if you do it on Saturday mornings? Yeah, we've so we've done our, our, our parent welcome breakfast for the last two years yeah. in our main building here on Newberry Street on Saturday mornings. We've had really great turnout, and I think a lot of that has to do with the, the fantastic work of our administrative team, uh, Miss Martinez, who's in her second year yeah. as administrator with us, I think really you know um, works super hard but also I think that she, you know, the, she has really helped us open up our communication strategy. Oh, that's so good. Um, in, in no small measure because, you know, she's bilingual. Right. Um, and What percentage of your kids are, spe- are not English language speakers primarily? So in terms of English language learners, I think it's about 23% if my mm-hmm. memory serves. But I think that we have, um, in terms of, you know, language other than English as the first language, that's a much higher percentage because some of our kids are, right. you know, maybe have been limited English proficient, you know, before. And so they're no longer, they're no longer considered English language learners. Right. Um, you know, you but, think it impacts um, test scores? Well, we've, I mean, our data indicates that our students who are um, formerly limited English proficient actually outperform the rest of our students. Is that right? So I think that, um, yeah, I think that if you are fluent in two languages, I think that, you know, um, you know, you're, you have a very flexible and, and capable brain, mm-hmm. right? It's not, I think the people who are bilingual, you know, the, with the, with the, their, the ability of their brain is very, 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 very high. Right. right. And I think that it's a resource and a talent and an ability that speaks to their capacity, um, you know, that is, you know, that I think facilitates, you know, gr- you know, um, really great learning. How do, So how do kids do in the international baccalaureate program? Because yours is one of the only, is the Quincy School is the only other school we could find yeah. that has yeah, an IB two. program. And so how do they perform? Does that adhere to mass core standards? And is, is it more rigorous than some of the other programs offered at other open enrollment schools? So I think that there are other open enrollment schools that will have AP Okay. Programs. I yep. think that. Um, so I think that having the international baccalaureate program is di- is different than having an AP program because you can start an AP calculus program. Yeah. Right. And you can just do AP calc. Right. Right. And then you, if you want, you can then do AP English and then AP history. And, right. You know, we can have students who will take those three classes. I would say one difference, um, having um, never you know taught at a school that has you know a strong AP program. Actually, at Madison when we, when we were there, we. There was an AP physics program that, that was started by um, Matt Dugan, um, who's now at Tech Boston. Okay, yeah. Um, and so I think that with, with the Ivy program, it is a course of study of seven courses. Okay, yeah. And so it's, you know, it's the opportunity to take a full, like if you could have a, a full AP schedule, that it, you know, that was... It's that rigorous. Yeah, so it's wow. it's seven courses. Okay. Um, the, over t- over the, but, that over two over two years. And there's a certain number of hours you can take. Yeah. Either a standard level course, which has a lower number of hours that students have to take, and okay. then a and then a higher level course, which has a higher level of hours that students need to take. Okay. Um, and the number and where there's if it's in in the a, the SL or HL, um, you know, pathways the 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 HL classes are the, um, you know, are the, I would say the you know, there's a gr- there's a greater 
responsibility and, and they are the, it's the harder course because you okay. can do. And what so do all do, kids do the IB program? So not all kids are in the IB diploma program. Okay. So there's, um, you know, so at our level you could be in the, the middle years program yep. or the diploma program. Yep. Um, at um, Snowden we have the diploma program, which starts in grade, grade 11. Okay. So not all students are in it. Um, we are working um, and have been working, you know, towards being an IB for all school. Okay. So we're, we're, we're looking to expand the opportunity. We want. Do you think you can get there? I think, I think we can make progress, but I think that structurally, you know, there are, you know, there are, there's some, you know, there's some structural, um, you know, obstacles that, that we have, I think we've done a good job of navigating a lot of them. Yep. You know, some of them are, are, um, can be more challenging. I think it's, um, for one thing, kids need to have, you know, the preparation, you know, to, to be there. Yeah. That um, is what I was wondering. Do you see, I mean, I, and you don't have to talk about particular schools, but across the city, are, do you feel like every kid who's coming into the school is equally prepared or, or do they, do you see kids coming from certain places who are more prepared to do well in an IB curriculum than others? Cause I think about how, you know, there's a lot of discussion about how um, kids in Boston public schools go out to community colleges and end up doing work that they didn't yet do in high school in order to get ready for college, but then that's kind of burning through money and credits before they're ever any on, anywhere on a pathway. And do you do you feel like the same thing happens as kids enter high school? Yeah, there's you know the the issue of of kids going to college and taking remedial right remedial course. Right. That's and a it's a national phenomenon. Oh, so totally. To, to, to BPS. No, um, no, right, right, right. But do you feel like there's also this need for remediation as they enter the high school? So I look at it as, um, you know, you know, the, a need for acceleration. Okay. Um, I think that this kind of aligns with my with my philosophy, you know, about kind of grading and like grades and learning. Yeah. It was actually pushed um, by um, a gentleman named Sonny Pye, who was who at Charlestown. Okay, it's a good name. Yeah. Well, he's a good, he's a good man. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, you know, I think about the work that they do at Diploma Plus, you know, and this idea about learning and time, right? And the way that we have it set up is that, you know, you're you have a you're in a grade, say you're in grade eight, yep, uh, and you have one year to learn all the stuff you're supposed to learn in grade eight, right? Um, and if you, um, but you only get the one year, right? So the amount of time is standard. It's one year, but the yeah. amount that can be learned is variable. Right. Could be, you know, learning that is be below what is expected, meets what is expected, or exceeds what is expected. Right, and that, you could only have be, the one year. that could be based on the teacher or the student or other circumstances. That could be based on yeah. a number of yeah, variables. And so what, what has, what I've, you know, now give, you know, Sonny credit for, you know, for first kind of planning this in my mind, um, you know, and this is, the, this is, I think, very core to, what, to the work they do um, at Charlestown and Diploma Plus is they look at the amount of learning should be standard, but the amount of time should be variable. Okay. Right? And so if you need to learn this much, but it takes you five terms instead of four, mm -hmm. the system should allow you to have five terms to learn it. Right. right? How do you judge, though, who needs what amount of time? So I think, um, I think, I think that assessment is important. Okay. Um, not necessarily, you know, high stakes standardized testing, mm -hmm. you know, but assessment. Yeah, I think like you have, continuous assessment to yeah. see where you're learning, where you're not learning, yeah. why you're not learning. You know, where you are. You know, what are your what are your specific needs, and then instruction that addresses those specific needs. And right. That's if there are two things that I wish that while I was a teacher I had a better, you know, grasp of and and, and better practice at. Right. It, it would be that. Yeah. Um, that would be yeah. one of them. Um, well, right. I I do feel yeah. like that's. I, I don't know. I wonder, I wonder if that is just kind of one of the things that you don't see every day in every school is that, you know, if we, if kids were continuously aware of what they know, what they don't know and why they don't know it and, and teachers as well, it might be easier to kind of continue them on the right track. Right. But we don't do this like perpetual. Well, I think there are some schools that are, that are really trying to, to do it. And that's yeah. one of the things I learned at the Elliott school, um, they have really great um, practices around, you know, assessing, you know, then data analysis and then saying, okay, these are the standards where students really need to develop. Right. And then having, you know, you know, 
uh, feedback from administrators, but also peer feedback right. about the instructional strategies that they're using to, um, you know, meet the the learning needs that are demonstrated through through data. Right, um, right, right. So I, I saw there are some schools that we have that have really really strong practices. Yeah. Um, and there are programs like Lynch Leadership Academy that are really, you know, do, doing a lot of great things to train leaders to you know create those systems and um, in schools. Yeah. Um, you know, but in turn, but coming back to the IB program, I think that it's, you know, I think that first we, we want kids to be aware of the opportunity and why it's compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you, if you do the IB, you know, program and you're successful, it can really open up a lot of doors. Yeah. Um, you know, for instance, um, if you do the, the two-year course and then you do the assessments that happen during your senior year in mm-hmm. May, um, and you do well enough on those assessments, you can earn what's called the IB diploma. Okay. Um, and, you know, students who, who earn the IB diploma, um, many of them are able to get significant amount of college credit for the courses they took in high school. Oh, okay. And so we have a number of students who have earned this and they go to college. And I think that we've had kids, we have a couple of kids at Northeastern who started two courses short of being sophomores. That's amazing. And do you, do you think that also reinforces their desire to go to college? Yeah, I, I would say that... Um, the students in the IB program, that is a consistent, yeah. you know, goal of, of, the, of the kids who are there. Right. I think that what we're trying to do at Snowden is to expand opportunity yep. um, right. for kids to engage in it. Um, and that means, number one, you know, sharing the, the opportunity so the kids, when they choose Snowden, excuse me, um, that they're choosing it because of the programming here and the opportunity to learn language and the opportunity to, to travel. Right. Do they, when they come into the school, do you help them think through whether or not they should enter into the IB program? And do you have an idea of whether or not every kid will be on, can be on track to go to college and what they're going to need to get through Snowden in order to, to go to college after they graduate? And do the kids know, like, do they all come in thinking I'm on my way to college and well, we talk to them about it right from orientation, and yeah. I think a lot of students know that they want to go to college, but I but yeah. I don't know how many concretely have a sense of, of what that is. I know I certainly didn't. Yeah, I think I just the idea was I was going to go to college, and right. I knew that there was this place after high school, and then during high school is when I kind of figured out what that was and what it meant. Right. I think that's probably you know the experience that a lot of our kids have, um, and what we're and what we're trying to do here, and I would say that what I'm. You know, I, I really think that our teacher leaders um, are, 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 are trying to do at Snowden um, is to really kind of identify, you know, what are the specific, you know, practices, habits, um, skills that kids are going to need to be able to successfully, you know, enter into the IV program and flourish there. Yeah. And then what are the experiences that students need to have as ninth and 10th graders mm. to build, you um, you know, to build those academic muscles, you know, so that they can then, you know, successfully, you know, enter the, the diploma program um, and, you know, uh, maintain the, you know, the academic habits, the consistent effort right. necessary to be, um, to be successful um, in the program. In that program. And what about the kids who are not ready for that program? How do you, how do you think about them and what are you preparing them for? So I think that we, we want, what we want to do for all of our kids is, is prepare them to have options. Yeah, right. And so I, do I think that every child should go to college? No, not necessarily. Right. I think that every child should be prepared to make the choice to go to college or not. Right. And, and if they decide that they do want to go to college, that they have the tools, the skills, the resources, the habits, um, you know, the, you know the, the, the essentials to be successful. Yeah. And that they have those regardless of, of whether or not they're going to college. Right. And if they go into the workforce, then those same skills, habits, um, abilities for creative thinking, you know, evaluation, uh, evaluation tasks, um, creation tasks, synthesis tasks, um, you know, comparing and contrasting critical thinking. Yeah. You know, that they have, you know, that tool set. Right. And then they can choose what to, what to build with those tools. Right. Is it is that hard work? I would imagine it's very hard work. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm inspired every day by the by the um, the efforts of the, our teachers, counselors, uh, community for, field coordinators, um, our sec- even our secretaries involved yeah. in um, in, uh, in in doing things that push um, our students towards these 
you know, reaching these goals and these targets. Um, I think that what we're trying to do is we're trying to like vertically align our instruction to say, what are the skills that kids need to be successful um, to enter the IB program, either as a full diploma student, you know, or just to take more IB classes. And so we've done is we've doubled the number of sections of IB. Yeah classes in grades 11 and 12 and so where we just have, would have the diploma cohort class yeah. and then we have the kids in the diploma cohort and then some students that were taking it as an individual class we now have two IB you know um, math sections in 11 and 12 and mm-hmm. same for history um, and science and in English language arts the teachers use the same curriculum for all um, for all of our um, gen ed students in 11 and 12 and the difference is who's going to take the assessments and who isn't okay right but the experience other than that so you're starting to make it pretty pervasive we're trying to yeah yeah and do you um are there things when you see freshmen come in from middle schools and elementary schools across the city are are there kind of general things that you wish they had better skill sets at or were better prepared for Hmm, that is a good question because I, I like look at our MCAS scores <laughs> across the city, and so there's got to be things that you wish they were coming in with better skill sets around math and reading. It would make your job easier, I would imagine. I mean, I, I think that I think that's a you know I think that we could you know I think that you know wanting student performance to be better is the same as wanting our buildings to be better, which is the same as want. Like I think that right. Well, it takes a village, but I mean... The human condition is to always want things to, you know, to be further along than they are. Well, except Um, for that, I think about when, you know, as we were doing these exam school um, conversations, you know, part of what we were asked to do is not 100% focus on the exam school, but go all the way back downstream. Because, you know, part of the, you know, people would point to the reason the exam schools aren't as diverse as they potentially could be and are not reflective of the diversity of the city is actually because of what's going on in elementary schools and the pathways that get created and the way kids, you know, can sometimes get sorted. And, you know, that not every kid is getting the um, the same level of expectations. And and so I would imagine, and now you're running an open enrollment school and a very successful one, but you must see the ramifications of that because the kids that are coming through your door, either just got to this country, or they, for some reason, decided not to or didn't get into an exam school. And so, you know, so I just think, I, like, that's got to be a heavy thing to think about as a principal. Yeah, what I, I think that the, I think the point about preparation for high school, you know, is a good one. Um, my, so for me, I'll take any student, you know, in terms of where you are, in terms of your learning. Right. We'll, we'll, I'll take anyone. Right. What I'm interested in is, you know, you know, how hard are you going to work? Yep. Um, how kind are you going to be? Yeah. To your peers and yeah. the people in the community. Um, you know, what is your willingness to to explore the the values and the mission of our school and live those values? Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, I want to, we want to facilitate your growth no matter right. where you start from, right. right? And that's what we're trying to instill here that we're you know, we're in it to win it, you know, with um, the kids to take them from their, where they're at to their proximal zone of development. Yep. Um, because I think that that's what equity is. I think that right. we, I mean, <clears throat> I think that looking at schools, seeing, seeing as there are only two schools that have the IB program, Yeah. you know, would a successful strategy be to um, look at students who may have early indicators that they have the academic proficiency to be successful and then create, you know, create a, you know, pipelines. Yeah. Right. Right. Sure. That might be one thing that would work. Um, but for me, I just, my reluctance is to say to an eighth grader that these things have been decided for you really in any way. Well, and because also I think that there's so, they still still have so much time to decide about themselves right. so much time to learn. And I don't, you know, I'm, you know, I, I am reluctant, you know, to, you know, to, um, you know, tell a kid what track he's there, he or she is on, right. um, you know, in eighth grade. Right. You and, you know, you talked a little bit about being in this, you know, kind of at the epicenter of, of Boston. And um, in many ways, that would be seen as a huge benefit, not in terms of how hard it is to get there, but in other cases. And h- how do you feel 
about being in Back Bay? Are there otherwise strong benefits to it? And do you think you're able to, like, to leverage the community as much as you would like to? Are there things that you would like to see from the community that would be additive to the work that you're doing at Snowden right now? Um, well, we're very grateful to be here. Um, I think that one of the, I think that, you know, our school being here is important for a couple of reasons. I think that um, now Boston um, would be described as a majority minority city. Yeah. Uh, but I think that some, you know, I think that if you go to some of the, um, some of the areas like, you know, Back Bay, if you go to, you know, Faneuil Hall, the mm -hmm. financial district, that diversity is not reflected, which to me speaks to um, an, an access issue. Right. I think that we have, just as we have thriving commercial centers and business centers, like the ones I mentioned, we also have thriving neighborhoods. Right. Um, right. And I think that the, the fact that, you know, that the diversity of the, and the richness of our neighborhoods is not um, universally reflected, you know, in, in, in our commercial districts and business centers, right. I think speaks to the importance of having a school like ours, you know, where it is. Yeah. Um, because a lot of our families, and it's funny, I talk to kids who come in either for visits or when they're freshmen yeah. and I ask, you know, who live in, in, in Boston proper, right? right? I say, have you ever been down here before? I've never been down here before. Yeah. Right. It's three miles from where they where they live. Right. Never been here. Right. Four miles from where they live. Never been here. Right. Um, you know, if they were, oh, I came to the Boston Public Library for a field trip once. Right. Right. And so it's it speaks to me of of an access issue. Right? What? Do, yeah. And what does it do for them to then be there because the school's there every day? Do you think it changes their worldview at all? I think it does. I think I like to think that our curriculum and an international focus mm -hmm. and, the, and the really inspiring work that our teachers do to engage kids in that focus, um, I think opens, you know, broadens their horizons. But also I think, you know, you know, I think that coming to a, coming to the back bay, I think can, you know, can, I think maybe can arouse your curiosity in, in another way. Like yeah. sometimes I wonder, our kids have to walk between our main building at, on Newberry Street uh, to um, we have seven classrooms on Clarendon Street in a different building. Right. Um, you know they have to walk past the Hancock Building, and I right. always wonder if if any of them look up and say, "I wonder what people do in there." And they see the people coming out, and they're well dressed. Or yeah. There's a there's a parking garage where the you know the, the gate will open, and then like a Tesla will like <laughs> smoothly slide out right. right into the street as our kids are walking over. And I and I wonder sometimes whether our kids wonder what what that person's job is. That's interesting, right? right? Uh, yeah, so, because they never walk inside those buildings. Yeah. I'm well, just thinking, well, Gene, some of them, we should take some of your kids on a tour of Wayfair. Yeah. Right down that, the street, too. I think that would be great. We're, and we've we've made some 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 gains because we, we have a mentoring program where we recruit, um, uh, where we recruit um, people who work in this area to yep. work as mentors for, for our kids. Great. Um, we have a partnership with the Mass Mentoring Partnership um, we and Hannah um, is our AmeriCorps ambassador of mentoring. Has worked really, really hard this oh. year to 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 build recruits, um, and so we're hoping that yeah, like the, we want to broaden the, the the horizons of our students. So they can. I think that it's. I think that there's a power of. Um, not just walk by the buildings. Well, not, but, but having but increasing your social capital. Right. Exactly. Right? I think that you know it's when we like I was part of I, I was part of a mentoring program when I was a kid. I had a mentor named David Robinson. Mm -hmm. Who is an engineer? Yeah, uh, my dad's an engineer, and so I was fortunate that I knew. You know, I have a dad right. and uncle who are both engineers. Um, you know, but I think that you, you know, with our families, you know, who who may be further removed from opportunity. Yeah, right. Having that sort of access and having personal relationships with people, you know, who have navigated, you know, high school, college you know, grad school careers right? and can tangibly, like, I think there's a difference between knowing that lawyers exist and knowing a lawyer. Right. That's right. Like knowing that there's a law office on the corner and yeah. having had an internship there. That's right. And that I think is where we are trying to get to you know, with, with, with and local for partners. our kids, with local partners. Who's your, of all the partners, not maybe not even just local partners, but who, who's your most, or one or two most um, beneficial partners right now? So, well, so the, I'm sure there Shaw, are many. The Shaw Foundation. Oh is definitely well, you know you don't have to say that. <laughs> um, but I will say, um, so I'd say that the we have a lot of great ones. I would say that we have. Um, so I'll speak to about the Old South Church. Okay. Um, and so we have been. So they're really close partners with us because our kids actually, they, our theater classes are located there. Right. Um, 
and so so they you know we we use the space for that we also use the sanctuary um, for our graduation and on any of our assemblies yeah um, and a lot of our mentors um, um, are part of the old south church community um, the old south church this year they did a um, supply drive they provided five thousand dollars worth of school supplies to our ninth graders. So this year, our ninth graders That's we normally amazing. we normally send them home with a supply list that says here are all the things you got to get. Right. And this year, you know, through our the incredible generosity of the church community, we were able to provide that for the kids. It That's just, absolutely. We said to say show up and grab the stuff, which was That's amazing. Which was great. Um, I think that we um, I also like to give a shout out to our partners at um, Hotel One Forty. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so we have seven classrooms in the basement of a working hotel. Yeah. Which is interesting. Which is interesting. Um, you know, and I think that they are very accommodating and supportive, um, you know, because it's very different to have, you know, high school freshmen directly beneath people who are <laughs> coming here from Sweden to be on vacation. Right. Um, and so they're really supportive of us. Um, I would say we've got great partners um, at Nike Town um, and Bonobos. Oh, yeah? Who, who yeah. What do who, they do? Um, so we have a program where... You know, they if there are things that they they're able to donate, yeah. um, whether it's shoes oh, or co- winter coats, um, we give them the students who may need them for various reasons, or we also do for incentives. So we, Beautiful. yeah, and so we'll do it if we do an attendance contract. We we'll say, hey, if you're on time every day for a month, you can earn a pair of shoes. That's great. Um, what other great partners? We have the Freedom House, who is one of our oldest. Yes. You know, but they're not in Back Bay, but yeah, yeah. They're they're what, a great. What partner do you do with them? Um, so they so they do a lot of. Um, you know, they have a, a, a something called a push cohort where they have a cohorts of students and they support them and follow them over four years. Uh, they do employment stuff. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of college attainment stuff, college visits, um, you know, youth development, you know, that takes place either in our school or at their headquarters on Crawford Street in, uh, in Roxbury. Um, you know, we have, um, so that's a really great partnership. I think who else should I, I don't want to leave anybody out. Um, you know, we have, you know, we've got like, you know, um, I would say that since our students go out for lunch, yeah, any of the places, you know, that welcome them in. I know. I hope partners. you're getting my way cafe next year. Uh, fing- fing- fingers crossed. Okay, yeah, fingers, fingers crossed. crossed. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, Wendy's and, you know, Chipotle and 7-Eleven. I mean, yeah. these are all, you know, people who are in it with us. Yeah. Um, and so they see our kids at their best, but also when they're not at their best. Yeah. Um, and we have really, you know, close communication and relationships with them. And we're very grateful, yeah. um, you know, for the, for the community they help provide, you know, for our students. Yeah, they, that's I right. Mean, we speak to them often. Right. It's like and a I, whole food hall yeah, out on Newberry Street. Yep. Yeah, and I couldn't forget the Shaw Foundation. Because yeah, you've, you don't you, need we've to. helped <laughs> us um, kind of transform. We have the oldest building in BPS that's used as a school. And I will just say that we've appreciated, you know, being able to, you know, have some, um, a modern look, you know, and the ability for our students to be a little bit more comfortable. Well, it is a beautiful building. So I appreciate that. It was very, our our pleasure to do that. So this kind of on that vein though, um, what, what do you think, just your opinion, what should the city, the school system and the community of Boston, what should we be doing to support your students and other students who don't end up in exam schools. Like what, what are the best things that we could be doing or thinking about to support 75% of kids, right, in the city who aren't in the exam schools? And so what should we all be doing for them? Um, I think that one thing, and I, I, and I agree with the superintendent's um, focus on rigorous coursework, mm-hmm. um, I think that we should be giving them access to, you know, rigorous coursework that will prepare them, you know, for college. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think that we want to make sure that we have, um, you know, a highly effective teacher in every classroom and that their support is available, you know, to develop teachers and support them, um, Mm -hmm. you know, towards, you know, developing cognitively demanding tasks where kids are really going to be challenged. Right. Um, I think that, you know, at times, you know, we, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, for instance, we only have 30 hours to work with our staff in terms of professional development a year. And that's contractual. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think that, you know, we compete with charter schools and other organizations that have four more, far more time to work together um, beyond the beyond the, the day. Um, and so I think it's really challenging to do all the things that we want to do. Right. That's with, interesting. With the limited amount of time that we have. Um, and so I think finding ways, you know, to, you know, to, you know, compensate folks so that there's more available time to, 
um, to do the all the important things that they do. And so I think everyone at every level does things that you know are beyond. Yeah. The, How, what, what is the expected. right, like, I mean, if you had your druthers, and I don't know what the charter school circumstances mm-hmm. is, but how many hours would you want to be working with teachers? So I think I think there's two questions there. There's length of school day, and then there's the amount of time that you'd want to have available for development activities and yeah. um, and meetings. Um, I guess I'm going to be, choose more words. I, I, just to say more than we currently have. More, um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that... Um, you know, I think that, yeah. Yeah, I'm not just, negotiating. Yeah, I just was curious more, if, like, it's magnitudes. Have. Okay, okay. Well, it's just because Or how we, many do charter schools have, typically? Like, how so does, I, that I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, okay. don't, I know that there, that there's a different situation. And the challenge is, I think, that we, you know, that, that our schools are asked to do so much. We're asked right. to uh, yes. develop, you know, cognitively demanding tasks, rigorous coursework, social-emotional learning, right. you know, anti-racism, um, restorative justice, um, where, you know, we are, we do things like biomass that, that are part of our, our student support strategy. Mm-hmm. We want to meet with parents. Like there's so many things that we want to do, right. um, you know, and just finding more ways to be fair about, um, creating opportunities for the, for those important things to happen, yeah. um, would be helpful in terms of what, what they need. I think that we also need a lot. And I think that we're moving in the right direction with having more counselors available. Do you think that's moving in the right direction? That's good. Well, I think we're, I think we're. You know, I know that they're in the newest contract, there there were, yeah. were more school psychologists right. and social workers and nurses. It could it could still be more. Yeah, we still need more. Yeah. Um. You know, I think unfortunately. That, yeah. 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 I think that you know we're wanting to meet the social emotional needs of um, you know, our students. Um. You know, but and, and there's you know, and, and trauma. Like, mm-hmm. I think that you know the impact of trauma. I think. You know, has you know far-reaching impacts on students and families, right. which has far and wide-reaching impacts on schools, which have far and wide-reaching um, Im- impacts on staff. Yeah, I mean, it's not a contagious disease, and yet it is a deeply contagious. I disease. think. Yeah, I, I, we were having a conversation about this this week at school. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is because it you know it should be treated as such. Yeah, I think it's because toxic stress. Yeah, you know, um, toxic stress multiplies. Yes, it right. does. Absolutely. You know, and I Absolutely. Think that, There's a vibration to it that yeah. I think, yeah, it permeates. Yeah. The, the and whole I think institution. that, and I think that, you know, doing things, you know, to, you know, promote the students wellness and also make sure that we're doing things to promote the wellness of, you know, our staff, you know, who support the kids. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to, to do all those things and it's hard to, you know, you know, it's hard as a school leader who always wants more for the for the kids to find ways to do that. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's tough. So, as a guy who was not intending to be a teacher and or a principal, how do you like the path that you've chosen? It's that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, I can't think of a more important thing to do. Yeah, um, that is right on, and I don't think that Americans broadly. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. You know, I can. I can't think. Of, I mean, there are harder things to do than than, than this, but it's a very difficult job. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that it's, you know, it's re- it's rewarding, but it's but it's very difficult. Um, and I think to do it at the level that many of the really inspiring school leaders across the the city that I've worked with are able to do it, I think it, you know, it, you know, that you have to sacrifice a lot of yeah. you know time and family and. Time and sometimes exercise, and, yeah, and, and, and you put it in there's social a emotional of health, yeah. and yeah, absolutely. So I think that it's. I think it's got to be one of the toughest jobs, actually. Yeah, I think I read somewhere. I think that the the most stressful job was to be an a, like an airline like flight controller, one of the people who. Right. Yes. I think, I think I read some report that said like they had some measurement tool, but I think that I think that I think that one of the things I'm trying to find a way to do is, you know find a way to have a high performing organization that, you know, that is, you know, that does the best possible job of instructing students and supporting them and, and supporting families and supporting, you know, teachers and counselors and, and staff, you know, but also we have to find a way, I think, to better manage the stress that, that comes with it. I, think I that's, agree with you. That's a, that's something that, and, and I think it's, it's present in, in, in all endeavors where, where people are swinging for the fences. Yeah. And that's um, right. Yeah. You know, and I think that it's you know if 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 people you know it's 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 a necessary thing, but we but we wanted to have it be a as healthy as possible and um, productive, 
in productive ways. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate the time that you spent with us. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining my conversation with Jean Roundtree, principal of the Snowden School in Back Bay. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your friends. Have a great day.